welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I am your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of the Bulwark. I'm joined, as always, by Alyssa Rosenberg of the Washington Post and Peter Suderman of Reason Magazine. Alyssa, Peter, how are you today? I'm great. Glad to be talking about movies with friends. Uh, first up in controversies and controversies, Will Smith and Antoine Fuqua are getting out of Georgia. The duo was scheduled to film Emancipation, a runaway slave action thriller uh, in the Peach State, but decided not to after all the ruckus about Georgia's recount election laws. Here are Smith and Fuqua in a joint statement, quote, we cannot in good conscience provide economic support to a government that enacts regressive voting laws that are designed to restrict voter access. The new Georgia voting laws are reminiscent of voting impediments that were passed at the end of Reconstruction to prevent many Americans from voting. Regrettably, we feel compelled to move our film production work from Georgia Georgia to another state, end quote. Uh, notably absent from this statement is the phrase Jim Crow, which is a term that has been bandied about by opponents of the law. Um, but it's also kind of a dramatic overstatement of what the law actually does. Voting Georgia's voting laws remain more expansive than, say, New York's with 17 early days of early voting. Rules that, according to Nate Cohn, uh, won't actually have any appreciable impact on electoral results. I mean, it, the, the the law has been overstated, I would say, is, is my point here. Um, and this move will really only hurt the hundreds of people who would have worked on the production in Georgia. Folks who, in all likelihood, and judging by average attitudes, voted for politicians like Stacey Abrams, who begged corporations not to bail on Georgia, despite the hyped negative implications of this bill. Um, still, Georgia is kind of reaping what it sowed here in a way. The only reason these productions moved to Georgia in the first place were tax subsidies passed by the legislature. Peter, did Georgia kind of have this coming? I mean, Georgia has definitely created a giant, uh, implicitly taxpayer-funded subsidy for the film industry, and that has lured uh, the film business into the into the state. And that is the reason that the state that the film business is there. I mean, the, the the film business effectively did not exist in Georgia until the tax subsidy. But that doesn't mean that it worked. It just means that Georgia is charging taxpayers to film stuff like Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the Avengers movies, and so. Taxpayers are on the hook for that stuff. Um, and that's the reason that Hollywood is there. And so, you know, in, in some sense, there is this like there's a sort of political, oh, this what's the voting law about sort of discussion that's happening at, at the surface here. But the reason that all of these productions are happening in Georgia and the reason that the especially that big uh, big companies like Disney are doing business there is because there's a gigantic tax credit that by um, at least one estimate, this is from 2019, actually, uh, has given out uh, about four billion dollars. In again, it's a tax credit, so it's in some ways a kind of a refund on money that they would have been paying, but it's refundable. It's about 30% of the dollars uh, spent, uh, sorry, I should say, it's up to 30% of the dollars spent on film production in the state. You get 20% automatically for spending the money, and you get another 10% if you include a Georgia Film Commission logo at the end of your at the end of your production, which uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier does, right? Yep. It's like you get to the end of that show every week, and it's, here's the post-credit scene. It's and a paid beach. for by Georgia tax uh, taxpayers, right? And so, you know, to me, the, the actual issue here um, in a lot of ways is, yes, there's we can have the argument about the, the voting law, and I think there are both problems with it. And I also think that that it has uh, that its effects have been overstated, as you said, Sonny, um, and that you can like there is a legitimate reason to criticize it. And also the criticisms have in many cases gone too far um, and have not been perfectly accurate in some cases. Um, but the actual policy issue here that seems like the one that people should be talking about 
the fact that Georgia is spending billions and billions of dollars to subsidize Avengers movies that rake in the money at the box office. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think what is the best way to think about Smith and Fuqua's decision is that it is calculating the sort of marketing and monetary problems for the film of continue of shooting it in Georgia, right? It's, you know, I don't, you know, maybe they truly believe that the voting law is bad. I think I'm probably more skeptical of it than um, you, Sonny. But the real problem for them is that they're going to make this movie. They're going to go out on the road and talk about how politically important it is. And every step of the way, they're going to get asked, well, why are you shooting this movie about black liberation in a state that, you know, restricted black voters ability to cast their ballots. And it's just going to become an enormous publicity headache for them. Um, You know, to be fair, this is something that is, it's hard to calculate the exact numerical value of that. And this is also something that's going to, I guess, to Apple um, rather than necessarily for a theatrical release. But, you know, there is a, cost to sacrificing the idea that your movie is politically important that's become a sort of important and powerful marketing tool and if shooting in georgia makes a movie that they could sell as politically important problematic in a way that for example shuts it out of the oscar race that has a value even if it's hard to put an exact number on it um Yeah, I mean, part of part of the issue here is that Apple has such deep pockets that uh, the the tax credit, frankly, doesn't matter that yeah. much to them. I don't know um, if I agree with that. Look, I, it, even even for Apple, which yes has a huge uh, cash uh, pile that they can work from here, this is a movie that the total deal here is uh, rumored to be valued at a, around one hundred and twenty million dollars, which means potentially there's something like. $40 million in tax credits available here. Yeah. And when you are in like on a project basis, the, the person who is running that project through Apple only has a certain amount of money that he or she can work from. And like $40 million potentially, it's probably less than that because not all of the dollars get spent in Georgia. But $40 million potentially, or even $10 million just makes a huge difference in terms of your kind of what you can do overall through the year. And Disney, again, Disney is not like a poor company. But there's a reason that they have set up shop in Georgia and just do everything there. And because that 20 or 30 percent is actually hugely valuable to them. But frankly, they can shop for at least some offsetting credits elsewhere. Like I guarantee you, Louisiana or there will be other states that have have dialed back their tax credits in part because we have been having this argument for I've been writing about this for a decade or so. And virtually every economist but left and right looks at this stuff and says all of the kind of jobs created economic impact estimates are at very best like rosy scenarios and yep. really they're they're just total horseshit like yeah. the uh, the the Georgia film tax credit folks who like push this for the state have been using a multiplier effect to claim about to claim overall economic impact that's like it's like 3.57 or something for every dollar the film industry spends and no one has any idea where this number ca- yeah. came from it's just completely <laughs> pulled out of somebody's butt somewhere right and this is this is true with like sports butt stadiums math. it's yes this yeah. it's all butt math it's true with sports stadiums yeah. it's true with blockbusters and it's uh, one of the reasons why I think think it was Michigan. It might have been one of those other states up by the Great Lakes where like they shot one of the big Sam Raimi, like the Oz movie or whatever. And Louisiana have at least scaled back some of their tax credits is because lawmakers, again, on both sides of the aisle and economists associated with sort of uh, both 
spectrums of, of uh, you know, sort of uh, across the ide ideological spectrum have looked at this and said, this is a bad deal for taxpayers. You guys are losing out. The only thing you can say is you you have created some number of jobs and you get a prestige effect for you the as a politician, but you're not actually benefiting the state's no. economy. I mean, I have a column coming out this week that basically argues that um, our conversations about sort of corporations and politics would be a lot healthier if we just sort of made a trade where corporations don't take money from state governments and can do whatever they want politically in terms of branding. Um, you know, folks like Eric W. Erickson have been floating that a little bit more aggressively of late. And my argument is basically liberals take the deal. I mean, come on. This yeah. is a chance to get enormous amounts of money diverted back to, to things you actually care about. To end um, corporate welfare. And also yeah. it would be better for moviegoers yep. who might get to see other places on film. I mean, it's like yep. bizarre how much how much all all of Hollywood, like everywhere they shoot now, either looks like some foreign country because they needed to go to to Hong Kong or to some, you know, uh, you know, to Canada or something, or it looks like Georgia. And yep. everything looks like Georgia now in a kind of weird way. For a long time, it was Louisiana, and now it all just looks like Georgia because everything is shot there. I actually have a question well, for you, gonna, Sonny. Well, um, it's gonna go. It's just gonna go back to looking yeah. like Toronto because it's cheaper <laughs> to shoot in Toronto. I mean, yeah. like this is it's, it's not Canada. It's not. It's not like we're gonna get a whole bunch of you know on location shooting in New York uh, or or other places uh, that that you know uh, we have been missing out on. It's it's just gonna move to another cheap. Uh, metropolis. I think uh, I think we'd get a family. little bit more domestically just if if there were zero United States state based um, film tax credits. But actually, I have a question for you, Sonny. Um, sure. Uh, Anton Fuqua has in the past been coded a little bit as a kind of vaguely conservative or at least not conventionally liberal filmmaker. Sure. Like, do you think that's kind a of. fair? Like, do you think that's in any way? Fair? Like, I'm I'm trying to say this without. Like, I'm not saying like he is a, right, like, right, a hardcore right. Trump Republican. He's obviously no, no, no. not. That's He's, not that's not my claim here. He he has made a series of films uh, that I think conservatives are are greatly fond of. And I know uh, I remember uh, after 9/11, a couple years after 9/11, I was 2006, 2007, something like that. Uh, Ross Douthat wrote a piece for the Atlantic about how he everybody kind of assumed that the big wave of filmmaking after 9/11 would all look like Fuqua's Tears of the Sun, which is essentially a neocon wet dream, right? It's about a, yeah. a team of uh, of American uh, special ops guys who go in against, you know, the cowardly Pentagon's orders to save a bunch of lives and, you know, whatever. Um, uh, and I, I mean, I, I you know, I, 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 I he made Olympus has fallen. Uh, he made the Magnificent Seven remake. Uh, I know he definitely has made a bunch of movies that conservative bunch of big budget blockbuster style movies that conservatives have enjoyed. Certainly. Um, so so how does this sort of play with his perceived politics given well, that this gonna... is a like this this move is very clearly coded as left or liberal and actually i'm, I'm curious about this yeah for you sunny since i know that you've written about fuqua and you like well, his films but i'm also curious Alyssa, sort of how you see this as from from a a uh, a quite successful black filmmaker who has sometimes not played to the you know sort of hollywood liberal stereotype in in ways that are kind of interesting I, I i don't love all of his films to be clear um but like i think he's a really interesting filmmaker in part because his movies don't seem to play the kind of obvious hollywood political games that you might expect just from from again not from 
a director like him, just from any Hollywood director working in the kind of tropes and sort of uh, genres that he's working in. Well, and that's also kind of true of Will Smith as well, right? I mean, for a long time, Will Smith was sort of the, you know, he and Denzel Washington were kind of the exceptions. Um, you know, Smith, even more so than Washington, because he was doing romantic comedy stuff as well. Um, and, you know, he has always been you know, someone who could, was considered to like be the exception who could play overseas. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't fit, fit neatly into, you know, a sense of kind of uniform black political liberalism in his roles either. Um, and he hasn't been treated that way by Hollywood. I don't know. I, well, I was going to actually ask you guys if you think that this is going to be a, a, an issue for, you know, we, everybody talks about liberal boycotts. Nobody cares about conservative boycotts. But I do wonder if this is going to be a thing uh, that that, you know, kind of galvanizes the right uh, ag against the film or if that even matters. I mean, because I it's going to be playing on test case, it's going to be on Apple, right? We're not going to have a box office measure to compare it to. Apple's going to re release some like the same insane ginned up statistics that Netflix and HBO yeah. Max and everyone else use. Like it will be the like you know, fourth most watched in completions and second most watched in sampling. And like, I mean, you know, I think if conservatives are going to pick something to target, they should pick something where they can actually show their influence. Um, Cause this is, this is not the test case for them. Yeah. I don't yeah. think this will be that big a deal um, in part because the movie itself is not going to come out for what a year, two years. Yeah. And there are going to be a lot more targets in this particular fight, given that you have other big industries and big corporate players threatening to move out of Georgia or change their operations in some way right now. Also, all yeah. I care about from Apple is Ted Lasso. Just like feed it straight into my veins. Nothing else matters. Mythic Quest. For all mankind. Uh, okay. So what do we think, guys? Is it, a, is it a controversy or an controversy that Peter likes for all mankind? I'm sorry. Is it a controversy or an controversy that Will Smith and Anto Antoine Fuqua uh, are pulling their big budget movie from the state of Georgia following ill-conceived outrage over uh, the new voting laws? Peter? I think it's a small controversy. Alyssa? I'm actually going to say it's a controversy because it's so unsurprising and because the forum, i.e. Apple, is just so irrelevant to the actual entertainment discussion. Uh, I mean, I think it's obviously a minor controversy, but I do think that uh, Peter is right. The only way that this kind of becomes a big controversy is if it causes Georgia to take a second look at the uh, the, the whole system of financing films that they have built there. If that happens, I, I, Which, I part of me part of me wonders if it if it if it if it will, if this is the sort of thing that sparks a, like a revolt in the state legislature. And if it does, it would be good and liberals should support it. Yeah. Like spend that money, like having state provided water to people in voting lines. Like that's but a, it's, a but it's just it's, it's, it, it's just going to go to like golf courses or something. You realize that, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, if you enjoy the show uh, and who doesn't, it's great. Make sure to head over to atma.thebulwark.com where we will have a bonus members only episode about Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock and his seemingly endless dalliance with running for presidents. Is he going to finally pull the trigger? Should he finally pull the trigger? Will we see President The Rock in the near future? Uh, all that and more on the special members on the episode. And now on to the main event. One week after discussing the big lizard and the big monkey punching each other, we journey into the most difficult conflict of all, man versus himself 
in this case, man versus his mind. Uh, Anthony Hopkins stars as the titular father in The Father, a man whose mind is slipping into dementia. He cannot quite tell where he is. Is it his own flat? That of his daughter, Anne, played by Olivia Coleman. Um, he's not sure when it is, and he's not entirely sure who exactly the strange people in his house are either. Uh, his mind is failing him, and Florian Zeller has cr crafted an absolutely shattering portrait of what it's like to have that happen, I would assume, having not had that happen. Uh, but by keeping us almost entirely within the point of view of Anthony and occasionally switching out Olivia Coleman for Olivia Williams or Rufus Sewell, uh, who plays Anne's husband for Mark Gaddis, without any explanation as to what's happening, Zeller capably and horribly mimics what it must be like to live in a situation in which you cannot actually trust your own eyes. Uh, Olivia Coleman is lovely as the put-upon daughter who must endure Anthony's slings and arrows with smile and good grace. You can sense from her sad smile just how much the character has given up for her father. Uh, and, and Hopkins plays Anthony with a sort of sharply cutting cruelty and a vibrant physicality, um, or at least as vibrant as an 80-something can be, uh, that, that makes us realize he is still mobile, he's still capable of thought and feelings, uh, conversation and memories, and yet he cannot function on his own. His acuity is gone. His sense of self and location have been irreparably damaged. Um, I have to say, I thought this was uh, like a pretty devastating movie and also just the best of the best picture nominees that I saw this year. Uh, Alyssa, what did you make of it? <sighs> this is really hard to watch um, in part because um, my grandmother died last summer um, and she did not have, you know, diagnosed dementia. Um, but she clearly went through a decline that was very much exacerbated by the COVID restrictions in her senior living facility. Um, and it was really hard to see that play out, you know, over Zoom, uh, where I was like trying to manufacture encounters between her and my toddler. Um, and it was really hard to watch my mother make caregiving decisions in this situation. Um, and I thought what was tremendously effective about The Father is that it functions as a horror movie where everyone is both the potential victim and the monster. Um, for Anthony, you know, there is this sense that something is terribly wrong is, hap in, is happening in the kind of limited confines of his flat. There are people who are kind of like the boundaries of it have become porous. There are people coming in and he doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know why they're there. Um, he overhears conversations that suggest that he's going to be institutionalized. He, you know, he doesn't understand where his youngest daughter is. We learn later in the movie that she's died. Um, and he's terrified in a lot of ways and trying to use sort of his charm and displays of independence to fight back and to, you know, maintain his hold on reality. At the same time, we see how mercurial and scary he can be, um, not necessarily intending to be so, especially in a scene with um, a where he and his daughter are interviewing a potential caregiver. And he, you know, puts on this great show of being kind of charming and adorable and then just turns in a moment. And you know, the movie doesn't quite say whether this is volitional or whether those shifts in mood are the result of his dementia. Um, but I have seen, you know, having recently lived through some of those moments where, you know, a person's personality just seems to slip or switch 
the movie does an amazing job of capturing those flashes of anger and cruelty um, as well as those moments of charm and being really loving and funny and it's it's a tremendously comp- compassionate movie i mean i think for absolutely everybody um but it also gets at how frightening and unpleasant um a situation like this can be for everyone involved um it made me miss my grandmother a lot it made me respect my mom a lot um this is really hard to watch and really good. Peter. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, Alyssa. And I mean, I didn't, I don't have the same sort of personal experience, but I, I felt in some ways similarly. I mean, it's a great movie. It's got, it's just filled with great performances, particularly Hopkins and Coleman. Um, it is, uh, even beyond the performances, right? Really nicely directed uh, with incredible production design. This, the like this is a movie that in some ways sort of shows you how seemingly subtle production design decisions that it then of course emphasizes and starts to highlight and bring out you know um the ways that his his physical world just this little tiny place around him is shifting and changing um and isn't stable uh, right and it uh, you know it's it's really just a master class in how important production design is and also i think the importance of good speakers because there are a lot of very good speakers in this movie um and headphones, good headphones and i think if i have reservations about it it's because i'm not sure i ever want to see it again um this is it's just not it is you know i i always sort of think that the, my favorite movies the the greatest movies are in some ways movies i want to come back to and i want to sort of re-experience even if they're sad even if they're hard but the subject matter here and the the kind of the depth of the emotional pain, I agree that it's with Alyssa, it's a quite compassionate movie. It is also, it's just, I found it, I found it somewhat, somewhat excruciating, not necessarily in a way where I was like, I need to turn this off, but just like, okay, I get it. I see what you're saying. And I also, I don't think I want to experience this again. Um, and, you know, and, and that to me is sort of the, that makes it a little bit of a hard movie to judge because like I said, I think it's it's just sort of great in every, you know, on, on all these levels, right? The acting level, the script level, the direction level, um, you know, all, all of the craft work is is just top notch. And it really, it it succeeds at what it, at what it sets out to do. And I'm just not sure I want to have that experience ever again. I, you know, that's a, it's an interesting uh standard by which to judge a film i mean i think it's i think it's a wrong standard no offense peter i think this is this is this is not i i don't think this is uh a particularly useful way to judge whether a work succeeds as a work of art i mean you know like uh i mean i said it was successful and i agree with that and i i think it i do think it succeeds as a work of art at the same time if you're judging a movie as a critic you're also talking about a sort of how it's going to live how you're going to live with it for the, for the future, how it's sort of how you're going to continue to feel about it. And one thing that I think I'm going to continue to feel about this is some, unless I've got like a research reason to go back and watch this, I need to review every Anthony Hopkins performance. I, I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to engage with this movie another time. What are some other movies that make you feel this way? Cause I want to, I want to drill down onto this just a little bit. I mean, I, uh, you know, Requiem really, for a Dream is a, is a, is a common pick when in the, you yeah, know, so what that movie was the, do you never want to see again? That came to mind, except I've actually seen, probably seen that movie a half dozen times. Um, mm. And, you know, in, in part because that experience sort of, first of all, it's, it's so, um, it's so filtered through Aronofsky's artifice, right? His sort of ultra stylization. And second of all, it's an experience that doesn't, that doesn't in some ways feel, 
exactly universal. It doesn't feel like sort of something that's close to me or sort of something that I that I might have to face here. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, here's frankly another one that is it's not quite like this, uh, but it's in the same it's a little bit in the same zone is actually Sound of Metal. Um, and again, these are movies a bit not about kind of they're not sure like this one is kind of uh, kind of structured as a horror movie, as Alyssa said. But it is it's about frailty and decline. And it's essentially even though it's not even though it's quite stylized, it's essentially naturalistic. And that's what both of those movies are. are, are they use the language of film um, in really smart ways to to capture the ways that our bodies fail us. And that's something that I think that I think I, I have a real hard time with um, and that I'm not that that even though I, I totally respect it as is like a completely legitimate subject, um, I think both these movies are quite good. Um, they're not necessarily things that I just want to come back to or or engage with, you know, uh, multiple times. Alyssa, you mentioned that this is a very compassionate movie, and that that feels like the right word to me, because it does feel, you know, this is this is a movie that uh, except for possibly the Rufus Sewell character who comes in for a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, comes comes in for kind of a rough time uh, with some of his treatment of Anthony Hopkins, um, it does does have a lot of a lot of sympathy and compassion for everybody who is thrust into this position. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm wondering from your perspective as somebody who has has kind of lived through this recently. You know, I, I saw some of the same stuff with my own uh with 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 my wife's uh, grandfather and and grandmother it's 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 hard to watch and hard to go through i i'm curious what you think of this as a movie uh for people to prepare themselves for this sort of thing happening because it it will it does happen and it happens to lots and lots of people um and i'm i'm curious if you think it, it's something that could be a a a helpful kind of warning I mean, I think that emotionally it could be. I think in the United States, um, something looming over all of this is what that is what either home help or um, you know residential care costs. And this is a movie where that just doesn't matter at all, right? I mean, it's you know either the family is rich or it's just, it just doesn't play in. It's set yeah. in London. Um, it seems like a wealthy family. I think. Yeah, they, you know. the, the sense I get is that it's a family with money. And there's this recurring motif about sort of an expensive watch and you know a beautiful London apartment. Um, and I think in the United States, those decisions are really difficult because I mean, memory care in the United States as a good facility can cost twenty thousand dollars a month, um, and that's like that's kind of staggering to think about if you don't have long term care insurance. Um, you know, that kind of thing can be just completely devastating. Um, but I do think that emotionally just it is a useful movie for thinking about, you know, what it means to have, you know, sort of the portrait of someone there, but parts of it are peeling away, right? And you, that's really painful for the person in question. Um, I thought one thing the movie did really well um, is that it, really tried to maintain everyone's dignity physically. Sonny, you compared this to Capone on Twitter, um, which is a movie that's very much about the sort of yeah. physical decay of someone who is sick yeah. and dying. And this is a movie that really grants all of the characters their dignity. Like even in the scenes when 
you know, Anthony is in his pajamas, like they're nice pajamas. He looks good. He's, you know, a clearly a natty guy of a certain age. When he goes out to an appointment, you know, he's nicely dressed in a blazer. Um, and, you know, his daughter, you know, he Anne, even talks about getting dressed nicely for yes. an appointment with the the, uh, the interview with a home health worker. Yeah, and he really, I mean, he really doesn't want to be seen as sort of undressed, and so it. Um, but it also, you know, Anne's character, like she's impatient sometimes, she's frustrated, she's confused, she's hurt. I mean, the way that Anthony talks about her and her younger sister is cruel in a lot of ways. Um, and, but the movie again, like, always has her really nicely dressed. Um, she, you know, she has good jewelry. She, her hair looks nice. Um, and so it's a movie that's very invested in giving all of the characters sort of a semblance of physical dignity. And you know, that's not necessarily advice per se, but it is sort of a good reminder that in the middle of this, like, there's still a person there, even if they're not behaving in a dignified way giving them some semblance of, you know, decency and stature is really important. But also that, you know, I appreciate that it's a movie, you know, and the movie is never particularly clear on whether, I mean, I think Anne's move to Paris is real, uh, as we understand that. But it's a movie that does not treat that judgmentally. Like it, you know, she has to be able to have a life. She can't be sort of destroyed by this either. And I think that that, even if not underlined is a really important reminder for people going through this that you know you can manage someone's decline gracefully and kindly but there is not a sacrifice that you can make that will stop the aging process um and if you're the person you're taking care of has dementia there's not a sacrifice you can make that will restore their personality um you know, one thing that's been really special to me is my mom has been going through my grandmother's writing and found a bunch of letters that my grandmother, you know, drafted but didn't send to me or other people, um, you know, before she died. And having those has been just a really wonderful memory. Um, but yeah, they're, I mean, I think it's, I cannot believe I'm going to, you know, sort of paraphrase Sylvester Stallone in one of the Creed movies, but like time is undefeated. You know, there is not something that you can do as a caregiver to reverse that. And thinking about how to provide the person you're caring for with as much dignity as possible while also preserving yourself, um, I think is really important. And I think a a balance the movie gets really beautifully. Uh, Peter, you you had mentioned one thing that this movie gets out, which is that the and that you, you that you personally find very moving and affecting the the kind of breakdown of the body and the you know the 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 horror that inspires. And I, I Alyssa's right; I did compare this to Capone because Capone does this poorly. It does it it does it kind of grotesquely and uh, extravagantly, um, you know, with with lots of bodily fluids and the such. Uh, and this movie doesn't. I mean, it, it's a much it's a much more it, I, subtle isn't the right word exactly because it's not like you're ever uh, confused about what's going on. But it, it is uh, it is it is done in a way that feels more real and and therefore more terrifying. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Capone was just uh, hyper emphasized the kind of the vulgar aspects of it, which of course are and can be real as you get older. Um, but I think, you know, it's just sort of, um, it just me, it's, it wasn't a very good movie. Um, and in part because it was just sort of too interested in, in making Capone's decline, this sort of, um, 
he turned into a bag of guts and it was gross. And like yeah. it, the movie didn't have a whole lot more to say uh, beyond that. And this movie is not about turning into a bag of guts. It is about turning into a person that you don't recognize a person who you, you feel like yourself at every moment, but you, even, even you, as you age in this movie's perspective, it is showing viewers how you lose your own sense of self and then how the people who know you um, also lose that sense of you and how the, how, because you are losing the sense of yourself, yourself, you, and the other people are losing that too. That's reflected back to you. So suddenly all of the feedback that you normally get about who you are from other people has, has gotten twisted. It's just a little bit wrong. Um, I just, you know, I, this movie is so dependent on Hopkins to sell. That. There's a bunch of tricks here, He's right? There's so a bunch good. of stylistic work, right? With the, the production and the editing and all of this, right? It's a nice script. It's really nicely done. But Hopkins' ability to shift tones and moods, the complexity of this performing is performance is just astounding, right? Those, those turns and those switches, which just happen on a dime, sometimes without a cut, I mean, it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It doesn't feel like he's just sort of, you know, uh, like he's playing, you know, a, a character with multiple personality disorder or, or, or something, right? This isn't, this isn't like, uh, this isn't the three, uh, you know, except for, <laughs> for, for mental decline, right? Somehow it all hangs together in this way that's incredibly naturalistic and incredibly affecting. And I mean, it's just, you know, again, all, all of my reservations aside, this is an incredibly well-made movie with with a truly astounding performance at its center and a reminder of how good Anthony Hopkins is, you know, and has been for so many decades. And to see somebody who is in his 80s delivering a performance like this is is really pretty incredible. Yeah, and it's worth, I mean, it's worth talking about this movie in context with Minari too, which also deals with the sort of incapac incapacitation of a parent and grandparent, but also does it again in sort of a, you know, kind, wonderful way through the eyes of a grandchild rather than a child, you know, someone who is at a bit of a, is about at a bit of an emotional remove from the role reversal of having a parent effectively become a child, but is, you know, physically up close to his grandmother's decline after her stroke in some interesting ways. Um, and both movies just really share a kindness that's very affecting. Um, and that movie doesn't take you inside um, the perspective of the person who's become incapacitated, but they're they're worth you know sort of looking at together. And that's a movie where the affected elderly person is clearly going to stay in the family, and there are going to be sort of costs and accommodations to that. But in some ways, a physical decline and a lack of communication are easier to deal with than the sort of mental decline with communication intact that you see in the father. I mean, I, I think it's also worth. Um... Uh, match it, pairing this film with Nomadland in a way, because it's a, they're both films about finding your way when, as you get old, right. And about the ways that, uh, that sort of the, that elder life takes a toll on people and leaves people in some ways sort of uncertain about who they are and about what they're supposed to be doing in this world. Obviously very different movies, you know, and, you know, sort of, uh, the, the, the issues, the specific issues of kind of elder life that they are dealing with are quite different, right? One is, you know, this movie, uh, as Sonny said, Anthony Hopkins appears to be not quite rich, but like quite comfortable, someone who comes from means and isn't struggling in that sense, you know, versus the kind of uh, difficult financial reality that, uh, you know, of, of being old and, and 
and homeless that, um, uh, you know, or sort of without a permanent uh, living space anyway, that uh, Francis McDormand's character faces in No Man Land. Um, but it's really interesting to sort of see these, see these themes kind of pop up and recur across our Oscar uh, nominees, across our best picture pool here, you know? Um, and uh, I think this is, you know, Sonny, I, I know you said you thought this was the best of the best picture nominees. Um, you know, I, I don't think I agree with that. I, I prefer Nomadland, but I do think that this is in some ways the most traditional and you might, and in a normal year, you might've seen a, a movie like this elevated by being paired with, you know, something more uh, kind of conventionally um, audience friendly or, you know, something that made, that made a lot of money at the box office and got a lot of attention that way. And that you might see this in Nomadland, you know, sort of, uh, have their their statures elevated uh, because they were next to I don't know not a Titanic but even like a Green Book a movie that made a hundred million dollars or more um, that's not an endorsement of either Titanic or Green Book to be clear but they're movies that people saw and talked about you know what, what we don't them. have here are those loves movies Titanic loves Green Book <laughs> I will <laughs> wholeheartedly it. endorse Titanic um. I have complicated thoughts about that movie um, but but. The like one of the the things about this weird Oscars year is that the father feels like it's just sort of totally MIA from any sort of cultural conversation, except it, for like the people who are paid to follow yeah. the Oscars and write about them for a living. Well, it, it was released. It was released like three weeks before, you know, uh, before before the Oscars. Yeah, also, I mean, you know, it's I, a like, 2021 it's, movie. It's, yeah. It's it's a, well, it's a twenty twenty movie technically. Yes, I no, mean, I know. Like, it's, it, yeah, it, it's sure. It debuted. It, 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 it debuted at a at a uh, a film festival in the beginning of yeah. the year, and then didn't get any sort of traditional theatrical release. Uh, and it just did a really any sort of release that any normal person could uh, could could find yeah. until March of twenty twenty one. It is it is for virtually for anyone who is not a film making or film watching professional. It is a 2021 film yep. that's yeah. just got lumped in with all the 2020 movies. Yeah. And it, well, it, it will be on my 2021 list. I like, I refused, I refused to watch it in 2020 because I was like, this movie's not coming out for three months. It's not a 2020 movie. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, not playing your game, Hollywood. Yes. I would, I would, I think an interesting Oscars bet, although I would not personally put money on this is the chance that Anthony Hopkins does what he did at the BAFTAs and beats Chadwick Boseman for Best Actor. Um, and then this movie becomes controversial instead of people actually watching it. I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying I necessarily think this is going to happen. I just think that, like, you might you might well, make this, some money betting on that. This this gets to well, 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 we have an Oscars episode coming up. Let's save it for that. We'll we'll say we'll say we'll table this discussion until then. All right. Uh, both so what great do we performances? Think? Don't make me choose. Thumbs, so what do we? Well, you're gonna have to. What do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on the father, Peter? A thumbs up with a weird qualification, which is that I never want to see it again. Alyssa, uh, thumbs up. I think it's remarkable, but also, man, know what you're getting into. Thumbs up. It's a great movie. Uh, you know, kind of depressing, but all great movies are depressing, even Titanic. Uh, okay, that is it for today's show. If you loved it, make sure to check out our members-only bonus episode on President the Rock at atma.thebulwark.com. Uh, and make sure to tell your friends. A strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. And if we don't grow, we will die. I don't want to die. Uh, if you didn't love today's episode, complain to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. I'll convince you that it is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys again next week. 